Welcome to the 166th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. A little over a decade ago, a student at St. Olaf, a private liberal arts college in Northfield, Minnesota, thought she had made a serious error while taking soil samples on land the institution rents out to farmers. It seems there were no macroinvertebrates in the samples. None. Macroinvertebrates, such as worms and insects, play a critical role by breaking down material into organic matter and aerating the soil. Soil that lacks these key organisms is essentially lifeless. How could soil that was producing bumper crops of corn and soybeans be dead? It turned out the student had not made a mistake. She was looking at a field that was suffering from the effects of the intensive farming systems used in this part of Minnesota to raise corn and soybeans. Heavy tillage and overuse of chemicals had decimated the life beneath the surface, and the soil's natural fertility had been replaced with heavy doses of petroleum-based fertilizers. The problem was, all those high crop yields were creating a soil that had no natural ability to resist erosion, retain moisture, or cook up its own organic matter. In addition, excess fertilizer was escaping the fields, producing water quality problems in the area. Thus began years of innovative soil-based studies involving students, biology professor Kathleen Shea, and area farmers. Among other things, this research has shown that when it comes to crop production profitability, more nitrogen fertilizer is not necessarily better. The research has also shown that productive agriculture does not have to come at the cost of all that underground livestock healthy soil relies on. Working with area farmer Dave Legvold, student researchers have seen how innovative cropping systems that eliminate plowing can create the kind of soil that is more self-reliant and a producer of ecological services such as cleaner water. Legvold, a former school teacher who has also worked in the agricultural implement business, farms 900 acres of corn and soybeans in the Northfield area, and rents around 200 acres of cropland from St. Olaf. He is a big believer in a conservation tillage system called strip-till, which disturbs the soil as little as possible. He has shown how this method of farming can build organic matter while reducing fuel costs, thus improving profitability. Over the years, he has developed a relationship with Professor Shea and her students that has evolved into a mutual learning experience. The students are gathering data that shows there are ways of farming that can be profitable as well as good for the soil and water. Legvold, for his part, is learning how to measure the direct environmental impacts of his farming methods. Meanwhile, both sides are trying to figure out how to get this information out to more farmers in a way that will lead to greater adoption of conservation production systems. I recently visited St. Olaf to learn more about this research. While there, I chatted with Dave Legvold, about what he's learned from this experience and the value of doing this kind of practical agronomic research with an institution not normally associated with agriculture. My research with St. Olaf uh, began when a student took a look at the soils and found that there were significant problems, uh, lack of macroinvertebrates, lack of soil biology, and organic matter was uh, extremely low. So we have had a journey together, the farmer and the student researchers, to try to track what's happening with the land. And now some 11 years later, we are finding that there is definitely a trend toward healthier soils. Uh, A healthy soil would be an undisturbed prairie, and we are nowhere near that. But we can see healthy trends in organic matter, in macroinvertebrate populations, in soil stability or aggregate stability, 
and the ability of the soil to hold water and cycle nutrients. And it's a long haul to bring soil from a nearly dead situation to a living situation. So you had shown that maybe you, you thought you were doing a pretty good job, but there were some problems with the macroinvertebrates uh, being not being there and that type of thing. Give us an idea of what you changed in your farming system to kind of respond to that a little bit over the years. The previous operator of the St. Olaf land had a rotation of continuous corn and moldboard plowing for perhaps up to 30 years, and that uh, devastated the soil. Previous to taking over the St. Olaf land, I had begun using no-till as a matter of saving time because in my professional career in public schools, uh, moving from the classroom to administration demands more time, and so I wanted to save time. That was the major consideration. But the benefits of no-till became quite uh, apparent, and so I converted from just no-till soybeans to planting no-till corn, and then uh, moved into uh, strip tilling for my corn. And with those techniques of using a strip till for corn and no-till for soybeans, the amount of organic matter that has been incorporated into the soil by natural processes is quite significant. And I don't miss the act of tillage at all because we live in country where there is rocks in our soil, and a tillage pass brings up all kinds of new rocks, and uh, that was a job I detested as a young boy. <laughs> Some of the research found that, for example, more nitrogen doesn't mean more yields, That and it, it kind of really showed that there is this kind of happy medium when it comes to, say, nitrogen applications, that type of thing. And it sounds like that wasn't a huge surprise to you. You kind of... That was some things that you had been looking at was how you don't necessarily have to to put on increasing amounts of inputs to get increasing amounts of returns. The application of nitrogen has been a concern of the students here at St. Olaf because of the environmental consequences that nitrogen brings with it. From the standpoint of a farmer, uh, when nitrogen was cheap, you could afford to apply a little more just to be sure. In this day and age, we can no longer do that. Uh, So the economics of nitrogen application would indicate that there is a sweet spot that you want to be. And to find that sweet spot, you need to have some research in your background. And we have the Iowa N calculator out of Iowa State, which is a great online tool that helps you find that target that you want to shoot for. And the research that we've done here at St. Olaf includes under-application and over-application just to see what happens. If you increase fertilizer by, we'll say, 18%, do you have 18% more profit? Usually when you cross over the sweet spot and get into excess, no. Uh, There's definitely good scientific data that you can gather that tells you when you've reached that sweet spot, and that is the corn nitrate test, where uh, when the corn reaches black layer at about harvest time, you cut out sections of the stalks and send them in for nitrate analysis, and they will tell you if you are low or optimum or, or too high. And so that kind of research helps, but that must be a, a commitment for a long-term project, because doing the research for one year 
does not indicate where your target is going to be every year. Uh, as farmers know, you're at the mercy of nature and uh, various other aspects that indicate how the soil will process nitrogen and uh, how the, the fertilizer will be converted to a usable form by the plants. A lot of it depends on rainfall. Over 10 years of research, 11 years of research, some pretty exciting stuff has come out of here, and it's, it's kind of verified some of the ideas you had about the benefits of not tilling the land and has also, sounds like you've also taken some leaps forward in your understanding of soil quality and soil health and what's going on there. We're seeing, it seems like maybe more tillage than ever in some areas, some parts of Minnesota and the upper Midwest, seeing some real issues with soil not being as healthy as it, it should be. I think uh, Dr. Shea had, had made the point that some of her students are like, after seeing an aggregate test she had done, their question was, well, why do farmers till if there's all these benefits? You've found that it's less fuel that you're using, less time, plus it's you've got these other benefits. I mean, what, you got any ideas on how to get this message across to farmers or how to get some of these ideas out there and on the on more land than just on land that's here next to St. Olaf College? I believe farmers want uh, proof, and the proof can come in the form of data. Uh, Also, finding what works on their farm with the equipment that they have and with their comfort level of trying something different. Uh, In farming, we tend to revert to tillage and tradition as a, a safe way to go because we've always prepared the land by doing tillage. And to think of planting a crop and expecting success by not tilling is, uh, it, it, it's not in uh, the commonly held knowledge that farmers possess. Uh, and it's just inherent that a farmer wants to go out and stir things up. <laughs> they want to get stuff done. So how we get farmers to park their equipment and don't till I think it takes uh, one uh, one farmer at a time to make the conversion, and it takes kind of a crowd mentality so that they they don't feel alone in what they're doing. It also takes some cost share. We have good uh, federal programs that will help farmers make the transition. Uh, that's in place. We need mentors, for example, somebody that a farmer who has doubts about what they're doing now in the regular scope of things and want to try something different, uh, who is out there that can talk to a farmer about what happens when you plant no-till soybeans and you leave the soil alone? That kind of support system has to be in place for farmers because farmers desperately want to be individualists, but they also absolutely have to be part of the pack. What's been the biggest uh, eye-opener for you out of all this? There has been no epiphany where I suddenly realized that I needed to make significant changes. I believe that doing a little bit at a time, trying one thing and seeing what the result is, is kind of the way to approach this and feel that you're not risking the whole works. The other wonderful thing is that the data and the research that St. Olaf has helped to generate has come about with the work of students who primarily are not farm kids. 
They are scientists. Uh, I, I think there is a fair amount of bias and predetermined uh, outcomes that we're looking for when we have uh, researchers with a farm background who are f- trained in agricultural agronomy and that kind of thing. These students come with a fresh perspective, and they have leaders like Dr. Shea who inspire them to think outside the box and it is a, it's a, a healthy way to approach changing the farmscape through uh, verifying results. It must be invaluable, too, to have this being done on local soils in, in a local climate, local lay of the land. We talked before about the efficacy of centralized research, which we have with uh, agencies and universities and commodity groups here in Minnesota. And then there is the decentralized research model that St. Olaf is a part of where there is research being done on individual farmers and the data pertains to their decentralized location. Uh, So I believe to help farmers make these transitions to better conservation, the decentralized research model needs to be in place. And we need leaders and agencies and commodity groups to step forward and promote that here in Minnesota. For more on farming methods that build soil health, see the Soil Health Profits and Resiliency page at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.